Today's reading comes from Mark chapter 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could not do mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Liz. You may have a seat. Let's go ahead and pray as we open God's word. Father, we ask that you would uh, help us to understand what you have for us this morning. Spirit, will you make these words come alive in our heart? Will you convict us? of sin. Will you encourage us in you, Holy Spirit? Pray that our affections for Jesus Christ are stirred. Pray that we would leave here as gathered saints under your banner and good care uh, into the world, carrying the gospel, being empowered by the power of the gospel uh, to change lives, our own lives and in those around us. We know that you do this work, you're happy to do this work, and we expect the work. Uh, Help us in our hearts that Uh, so often can uh, be in doubt or disbelief. I pray that we would uh, follow you all of our days. Uh, We love you. Uh, Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, it's uh, one, of, one of the things I want to say right off the bat is it's so great to have the, the Taylors back. Um, the Taylors back from their sabbatical, absolutely. Um, we'll, t- we'll hopefully hear from them. We'll talk to them a little bit later in the service. But uh, one of the things that I was struck by on the way up here is that your first Sunday back, Chris, uh, the title of the sermon is Homeboy Jesus. Uh, so uh, you're either like wondering what in the world in the past two months have we done that we're titling our sermons Homeboy Jesus. Promise this is the only uh, sermon that I've done something like that with. Uh, but yes, the title of the sermon is Homeboy Jesus. And a few years ago, probably several years ago, I don't even know the genesis of it, but maybe even you have this t-shirt. I've seen it. I've seen people wear the t-shirt that Jesus is my homeboy. Have you seen that? Uh, You don't have to raise your hand if you actually own that t-shirt. There's not going to be any shame here. Uh, But yeah, that Jesus is my homeboy. And the meaning behind that, homeboy, is uh, in in essence that Jesus is my my friend, my, my pal. Uh, and, and more specifically to the text that we are in this morning, the homeboy uh, is someone who's from my own town, from my own neighborhood. He's one of us. And certainly in this passage that Liz just read, we, we see that uh, Jesus has returned to his hometown and that there is a danger if we only see Jesus this way. If we only see Jesus as homeboy Jesus or just the guy from my hometown, just Someone like me, like a pal, like a buddy, there's a danger if we only see Jesus that way. 
And we're going to see that as we get more and more into our text this morning. Really thankful to be back in the Gospel of Mark. It's been a few weeks. We took a break uh, for Advent. And uh, when we last were in the Gospel of Mark, if you remember, we were in chapter 5, which is uh, an incredible chapter in the Gospel of Mark because we get to see the power and miracles of Jesus over and over again. If you remember, uh, we see him cast out the demon from the demoniac. The woman with the bleeding disorder is healed by touching Jesus' robe. Uh, we have the miracle of uh, Jairus's daughter being raised from the dead by Jesus. And so it seems like things are going in such an encouraging way in Mark's gospel until we now get to chapter 6, and all of a sudden we're faced with the reality that we've already seen in Mark, but here it is again, Jesus will be rejected. In fact, Jesus is going to continue to be rejected as we continue to read Mark, and the rejections are only going to escalate from here We will see the hostility to Jesus and his kingdom, and we'll see it all the way to Jerusalem. This this indeed is where we're headed in the Gospel of Mark, that we're in the part of Mark right now where we're beginning to see, we're beginning to have the pieces put together for us about who is this Jesus, who is this king, and eventually this king and his kingdom marching all the way to Jerusalem where he will be killed on a cross. So the question still looms large in Mark 6. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? How do we understand this king and his kingdom? In fact, that's, that's the premier question we have during our study of Mark And so here is how I want to look at that today through Mark 6. This is the main idea. If you've picked up an announcement sheet, a place to take notes this morning, the main idea is this. Your faith grows because Jesus is your king, not just your homeboy. Your faith grows because Jesus is your king, not just your homeboy. And a king has authority. And that's That's what we want to zero in on this morning. A king has authority over your life. Jesus certainly has unique authority in our lives. He's not just a pal or a buddy or a guy that we've known all of our lives. There's uh, three points from the text that we have this morning. The first one is this. This is the first blank on your handout. Wanting Jesus without his authority is a stumbling block is a stumbling block. Let's, let's dig into this passage uh, here at the beginning of Mark 6. The first thing we see there in verse 1 is that he does uh, move away from where he was in Galilee, and now he is moving into Nazareth, which is his hometown. And we read there in verse 1 that his disciples have followed him. And it's important to, to see that because this is not uh, something that is uh, apart from the mission of Jesus. This is not something like a, just a visiting home that's going to pop in on mom and the brothers and sisters, and, and then I'll come back to the disciples. Uh, the disciples being there is important because Jesus is still on mission, and he needs the disciple to see what is about to happen here with his family. Uh, One of the reasons I believe that he wants the disciples to see what's happening in Nazareth is that later on in chapter 6, in fact, we'll get to this next week, uh, the disciples themselves are going to be sent out into the countryside and they will also be met with certain hostility and rejection. 
So Jesus is introducing them to this whole concept that even his own followers will be rejected and despised at times. What, what we see in this passage is that the people who really were the closest to Jesus, his own family, the, the friends that he likely grew up with in this very small town of Nazareth, uh, very close to Jesus, the very people that you would expect, if you're just thinking about it in the abstract, would be the people that would certainly be excited and encouraged by the ministry of Jesus. But, but we know that that is not the case. We, we see the opposite happening here. We continue to see uh, this, this theme that I've mentioned several times in the Gospel of Mark, that it very often are the insiders, are the very people that you would think would be excited about Jesus and his kingdom, are the very ones that actually have the hardest time understanding who this king is, and often are the ones that reject him outright. In verse 2, as we keep going, so the disciples have followed him, and then in verse 2, Jesus starts teaching. Uh, as he's done uh, many times already, we've seen him teach in the synagogue earlier in Mark, and once again, we see that the reaction is astonishment, that those who heard him, many who heard him, were astonished. That's not new either. Jesus has taught. He has taught with the power. He's healed people with the power. And many people there are astonished. They are impressed by Jesus. But then we see that the, the astonishment, the being impressed, quickly turns into scoffing and rejection. Look at the questions that the crowd begins to ask there in verse 2. Where does he get this thing? Where does this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? We might read that on the surface and, and think that those questions are reasonable questions. Uh, where does he get these things? These are amazing things. Uh, but as we keep reading, we're going to see that the questions themselves are bathed in condescension. That there is sneering here. That underneath these questions isn't an admiration of Jesus, but it is a, a condescension of Jesus. One of the things that I think we're meant to see, even by these questions themselves, is that these questions are straight out of Satan's playbook. You can, you can read these questions and, and hear these questions the same way that the serpent asked Eve in Genesis 3 with the type of question of, did God really say... And these, these questions that the crowd is asking in verse 2 are, are meant to question God's legitimacy. They're meant to question Jesus, meant to question his power, his wisdom. They're meant to provoke jealousy. These are the very things that Satan does to God's people. Are this, are this really, is this really God? This can't be really God. Where does he get, get off doing these things? Who is this guy, I think? He is. He goes further there in uh, verse 3 and says, Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? These, again, are not friendly questions. These are not biographical sketches that uh, the crowd is trying to uh, reimagine for Mark's readers. The, these are uh, questions that are dripping with condescension, condescension uh, in an attempt to discredit Jesus. They refuse to acknowledge 
what happens at the very beginning of Mark's gospel. If we go all the way back to the beginning, uh, we read about God the Father uh, declaring his love for his son. We read about the Father God declaring the love for the son. And then we read that the son, Jesus, declares his kingship. It's the first thing that he says in the gospel of Mark is that the kingdom is here. Repent and believe. There's a call to repentance and belief. That's the very beginning of Mark. Wanting Jesus without his authority is a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block. That's actually the the literal meaning there in verse 3 when it says, and they took offense at him. That word offense uh, is the same word for stumbling or stumbling block. Uh, Last year, we memorized together, attempted to memorize together 1 Peter 2. And we read even in that uh, passage in 1 Peter 2 about Jesus being a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And this is exactly what we're seeing play out here in Mark chapter 6. Jesus being from Nazareth and saying and doing all of these things is offensive to his fellow Nazarenes. It's offensive. And it leads Jesus to say there in verse 4, it leads him to quote this proverb, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. In other words, Familiarity breeds contempt. I don't know if you've, you've heard that phrase before. Many of you probably have. That familiarity, that the things that we get accustomed to, that we have a long history with, that we feel like we know really well, breeds contempt. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. That, that a prophet in his own hometown is going to be met with this type of offense and contempt You can imagine at this point that the disciples are are likely a bit confused. Uh, We've already seen the disciples themselves stumble a bit about who Jesus is, and they will continue to do so. But again, remember where we just were. The disciples have seen magnificent things from Jesus in chapter 5. They've seen healings and demons cast out and and people risen from the dead. And then they get to Jesus' hometown, and it's no doubt that they're having the thoughts that, oh man, we're about to get to the people that know Jesus the best. This is going to be even better than what we just saw. And what do they see instead? Are the people that have been around Jesus the longest rejecting him instead of being encouraged by him? I remember a time when I was growing up that uh, my brother and I went to stay the weekend with my grandparents who uh, lived in Burleson. Uh, we often did that. I think my parents must have been out of town doing something. And so we loved staying with our grandparents in Burleson. It's always a fun time. And I'll never forget this one particular visit for the weekend when we were staying there that my aunt, uh, their daughter, uh, was, was there as well. And at some point during the visit, my aunt and my grandmother got in a huge fight. Uh, They got in a fight where they started yelling at each other and making accusations, and it was very heated until my aunt just stormed out and she left the house. And as someone who uh, grew up uh, just idolizing my grandmother in particular, I thought this woman could do no wrong. She is uh, a woman of honor. She's hardworking. She loves her family deeply. I love being around her. I was 
incredibly disheartened and disoriented when I saw uh, that her own daughter uh, was attacking her. That there wasn't seemingly the same uh, honor and uh, favor that her own daughter was showing my grandmother. And I was, I was so perplexed. I just thought, how could someone who I thought could do no wrong, uh, how could her own daughter not see her the same way that I do? Of course, we all have those types of issues as sinners, and we all have to wrestle with that type of sin and disunity at times. I think there's something similar going on here that the, the people that Jesus had grown up with and had been very close with, uh, instead of showing him honor, instead of recognizing him as king, they've shown him contempt and they've shown him dishonor. I admit that uh, most of the time that I've read this particular story, whether it's in the Gospel of Mark or it's actually a story that's found in the other Gospels as well, the story of Jesus not being honored in his hometown. Uh, very often when I read this story, maybe in fact the only thing that I think of before when I've read this story is I put myself in Jesus' shoes. And maybe many of you have done the same thing as you've read this story before, even as we were reading it earlier, that you can recognize this type of rejection in your own life, that you, you uh, can vibe with Jesus here because you know what it's like to, to be rejected by a close family member, that uh, your faith has brought an offense uh, to those who may have been closest to you growing up, maybe your own siblings have, uh, you've been alienated from them because of your faith. And so that is certainly valid as we read this text that we all, as followers of Jesus Christ, will experience rejection. And very often we will experience rejection from the very people that we would hope that we wouldn't. And that is true, but this morning I really want to challenge us to consider this story in maybe a slightly different way. And the way that I want us to consider it is that we so very often react the very same way as Jesus' hometown does in this story to Jesus. That we so very often react the same way to Jesus. We react the same way to Christianity as a faith, as the, the folks here in Nazareth do. Here, here we read, you know, Jesus comes, comes back into his town. He's hanging out now with these, these guys. Uh, who are these guys? These disciples, these unimpressive uh, guys that are now following him around. And, and it's weird. And like, who, do, who, who are these guys? Where does he get off saying these things? He starts teaching uh, certain things from the word of God like no one else they've heard and making some pretty extraordinary claims. And they're thinking, he's, he's just one of us. He's just, he's just a dude like, like me. I've, I've watched him grow up. He's not special. He's not special because I'm not special. I'm from Nazareth. I know that we in America love a, a good uh, pull yourself up from the bootstraps type of story, a rags to riches. So, uh, that's a very, in many ways, Western thing, a very American thing. But there the really wasn't that back in the first century. There really wasn't this whole thing of, uh, oh, yeah, you can be born in Nazareth, but you can be the, the best. You can be royalty. There was always this idea that uh, born in Nazareth, you're always going to be a Nazarene. There's, there's no pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. You're poor and obscure in Nazareth, and so you're always going to be poor and obscure. 
That was, that was your lot. That was the story that was written for you. It was an assumed story. And that's, that's exactly what we're seeing here. We're even hearing the echoes. If you uh, look in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, verse 46, Nathaniel says about Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So you, you can, there was already this bias against Nazareth. There was already this kind of well-known, how can anything good come out of this town? This, this small little town. He's just one of us. Jesus, just so ordinary, so plain. You can, you can begin to feel exactly what this crowd is, is thinking as they're seeing Jesus come back in and saying and doing all these things. You've had this experience, of course, at a graduation, whether it be yours or maybe you've attended a graduation recently. And uh, whenever someone gives the commencement address at a graduation to inspire uh, the graduates and to kind of call everyone at that graduation ceremony into a greater good and looking ahead to the future, you, you never see one of the graduates, one of the students, give the commencement address, Right? You never see that one of your own is going to be the one to come up on stage and give a flowery speech of encouragement and, and uh, empowerment. It's, it's going to be a bigwig, right? It's usually a, a politician or someone, uh, a, a noted alumnus or some, someone with some notoriety, some power, some, some fame that comes in to give the commencement address because we would be offended if it was just someone, someone that we're graduating with that was given that honor. We would be like, why? I know he cheated on his test. Why is, why is he giving the commencement address? We would think the very same thing. If Jesus is just your homeboy, someone just like you, and not your king, you will also be offended at him and what he says. If Jesus is only homeboy Jesus, it also constricts ministry. That's the second point, that wanting Jesus without his authority constricts ministry. We see that in verse 5, that we read that he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. God will not force his kingdom upon hardened hearts. He won't force it upon those who continually reject him, those who continually have hardened, unrepentant hearts. We've, we've read in chapter 4, if you remember a couple of chapters ago, that Jesus tells the parable about how the kingdom of God is like a seed that's sown on different soils. And we read that that seed, if it's sowed on hard soil, will just bounce away, that Jesus or that Satan snatches that seed away immediately. So the, the, the kingdom of God starts small as a seed, and if it's bouncing off hard soil, there will be no fruit. Jesus is not interested in putting on a show for the people of Nazareth. He's not wanting to perform all these miracles as this, the, that would just amount to a, a sideshow for the people who are remaining in unbelief here in Nazareth. Now, it's not a matter of could have Jesus 
done some miracles here? Could Jesus have saved and done mighty things? Of course he could have, but he would not do it just as he does not when our hearts remain impenetrable. We read over and over again that ongoing, unrepentant hearts, those who continually reject Jesus, those who are deaf, those who are blind, those who don't know that they are deaf and blind are the ones that the power of Jesus does not break through. And we see it heartbreakingly all around us. That the message of Jesus Christ is rejected over and over again. And so Jesus here could do no mighty work. Finally, we see that wanting Jesus without his authority stunts spiritual growth. That's point number three. Wanting Jesus without his authority stunts spiritual growth. Look at verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Their lack of faith is now an occasion for astonishment. We read earlier in this passage that the crowd is astonished. They're astonished at the things Jesus is saying and doing. And now Jesus is the one who's astonished. Jesus is the one who marvels and mourns the reality that Satan and sin have deceived his hometown this much. Despite all the evidence of his divine nature, despite all the evidence, all the stories that they've heard, some of them maybe even seeing them firsthand, despite all the evidence that he is king, that he has divine authority and power to heal and power uh, to save, their hearts remain hardened. They lack faith. They lack sight. They lack hearing. They've rejected the power of the gospel They only see Jesus, the hometown boy, and not Jesus, their king. They only see a son of Mary instead of the son of God. A king requires obedience and submission. By by the very definition of that word, a king requires submission and our obedience You you and I have created a different Jesus in our own mind or in our own heart. We have created a different Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. If in our mind we, we say, my Jesus would never ask me to fill in the blank. This Jesus, my Jesus, the one that I am thinking about, would never ask me to leave my job. Uh, This Jesus, my Jesus, the one that I follow, would never ask me to give up that much. My, My Jesus would never command that I forgive that person. My Jesus would never deny me that pleasure. And on and on we go, and on and on we lie to ourselves. And and you're right in the sense that homeboy Jesus, kid Jesus from Nazareth, would not ask you to do those things. If he's just a pal, if he's just one of the guys, you're right. He wouldn't ask you to do any of those things. If we're honest, if we're honest in our flesh, what we want from a friend, from from our pal, from someone that we're comfortable with, what we want is just someone to reassure us, right? 
And if we're honest, we just want someone to kind of reinforce the narrative that we've constructed for our lives, someone that is going to love us just how we are, someone who's not going to challenge our presuppositions, someone who is just going to affirm everything that we have constructed in our lives. If we're honest in our flesh, that's the kind of friend that we want. As the boys are are getting older, I, I love how our relationship is changing a bit. Uh, that as we get older, as they're no longer babies or preschoolers, that the maturity of uh, that age uh, allows us for different types of conversation. Uh, but I am always going to be dad. I'm always going to be dad. I'm always going to have unique authority in their lives. It's going to uh, transform and look differently as they get older, certainly as they become adults and have their own family, but I'm always going to be dad, even as I desire to have a friendship and, Lord willing, a brotherhood with them. You you and I know that we have seen over and over again the disaster that happens when parents just want to be their kids' friends. Have you seen that? Have you seen how that can can be a disaster in someone's life. If, if, if mom and dad are only friends, if this dynamic where the kids are growing up is that mom and dad are just there to give me what I want, to affirm uh, what I believe, to not really challenge me, that the, I see them as an equal, there will be at some point where mom and dad want to discipline that child and it's going to be disastrous. And they're going to reject that parent because they've never exercised the unique authority that God has given them in the life of their children. If all you are is their buddy, the day when authority is tried to exercise in their lives, you will experience their contempt. We we know this is possible as parents. We we know that maybe even some of us struggle with these things or have uh, conflict even within our own heart about these things because we're sinners. But the same dynamic that's at play with Jesus, it's not an option. Jesus doesn't give us that option. He is perfect. He is without sin. And when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, he is friend and brother and king. He's all of them. That that is the paradox that's, that's at hand here. That Jesus is, yes, our friend. He is our brother. And he's also our divine, sovereign king. He is like you in your humanness and yet is totally not like any of us in his sovereignty and his divine nature. He is king of everything. The gospel itself redefines friends and family. The gospel itself redefines what it means to have a friendship and to be in a family. We we already saw that actually in Mark 3. In Mark 3, if you remember, Jesus' mom and brothers are looking for Jesus. Uh, They're trying to find him because they think that he's out of his mind. And what does Jesus say when uh, some of his disciples say, hey, your mom and your brother are looking for you? And Jesus says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever submits to King Jesus will see his or her faith grow that's, that's been the, 
the point this morning is that we have to see Jesus as more than just homeboy Jesus, more than just pal Jesus. We have to see Jesus with his unique authority as King Jesus. But here's the thing. When, when you find King Jesus and you recognize the authority that Jesus has in your life, you also find the greatest friend you could ever have. You also find the brother that you always wished that you had, the greatest brother you could ever imagine. And, and dare I say, you find homeboy Jesus there with it, that you find someone who does identify with you, who can relate to you as another human being. His humility to become one of us should compel us to humble ourselves in order to repent and believe his gospel and receive his kingdom. I ran across this week a quote from Augustine. Uh, he wrote this quote uh, as he was describing his journey uh, toward faith in Jesus Christ on his journey toward conversion. And he said this, Not yet was I humble enough to grasp the humble Jesus as my God, nor did I know what his weakness had to teach. Friends, be, because Jesus denied himself, he calls us to deny ourselves. Because he picked up his cross, we pick up ours and follow him. We follow him, we obey King Jesus. As we close this morning, I, I, wanna, I wanna ask again, I want to plead with the Holy Spirit in this moment to reveal to you and to me where we tend to do the very things that we see here in Mark chapter 6. Where have we, maybe unknowingly, maybe, maybe it's been subtle, maybe you're even having a struggle right now in this moment thinking that this would even apply to you, but where have you adopted the same mindset as the hometown people of Nazareth in Mark chapter 6. How has Jesus been reduced to just a man in your life? Where is Jesus just a man? He's just a friend, but he's without authority. That he is in your heart and mind as friend and buddy Jesus, but his authority is lacking. Where are you struggling to see Jesus as king? Where are you struggling to see that Jesus is someone who has the right to call you to follow him? He has that right in your life. He's the sovereign king of the universe. Has Jesus, maybe even has Christianity, maybe, maybe just going to church, maybe being a part of a church, has, has it become so routine and so familiar that you're beginning to imagine that Jesus doesn't have the authority in your life to challenge any presuppositions or to confront you in any ways or to bring you back under the authority of his word. Are you wrestling with any of that this morning? In asking the question, is there something in your own heart that says, yeah, I, I have seen Jesus uh, way too casually, that 
that my over-familiarization with the Jesus that I've constructed in my mind, the over-familiarization of the routine of being a part of a church, of coming on a Sunday, of going to DG, whatever it might be, has become so routine, so familiar to you that you have lost the picture of the authority that Jesus has in your life as king. Here's, here's gospel hope in this story as we wrap up. We, we know that at least James and, and, and Judas, or Jude, two of Jesus' brothers, we know that at least those two came to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we, know, we know that because we have the book of James and the book of Jude in our New Testament. Those are the brothers of Jesus. And so we know that the gospel transformed their lives, that the power of the gospel was able to bring them into incredible humility to recognize that Jesus is, is not just one of the bros, although he is, but he's also king of the universe, that he is Lord of lords. Can you imagine the humility needed to accept that fact, to receive that with joy, that their own brother is the savior of the world? I hope that that brings us great hope. I hope that it brings us great hope as we are uh, confronted with our own sinfulness and our own proclivities and our own hearts to over-familiarize ourselves with Jesus. I hope that that brings great hope. I hope that it brings incredible hope knowing that there is a lost and dying world around us, unable to see the authority of Jesus right now, but yet hardened hearts can and will be softened to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation will come to homes where currently it has not. Isn't that a beautiful reality? That we can repent of the sin of contempt for the over-familiar Jesus that we have created in our own mind. And we can pray that the same power that can bring us conviction and repentance in, that, in those areas for us, we can pray and know that the same power that's at work in us will be at work in those around us who still take offense to the man from Nazareth. That we pray that the same power will convict and humble our neighbors, our co-workers, and we can see the same trans transition, transformation in the hearts of those who right now are just seeing Jesus as another good teacher, maybe a friend, maybe the he gets us Jesus. Those are not bad things, but they're so incomplete without the knowledge and the acknowledgement that Jesus is our king along with our friend and brother. Let us pray. And so, Father, we ask that you would do this work in our hearts, this amazing work of transforming us through the power of the gospel because the kingdom has broken through, a kingdom that is equated with a seed growing into a full flourish in our own hearts and in our world. And we know that the kingdom will prevail. It is prevailing. We see it manifest in your church and we pray that as we have uh, become too routine and familiar with Jesus, where he has become just one of the guys, another teacher, another voice in a, in a long catalog of voices in our lives, I pray that you would allow us to repent. I pray that you would allow us to see King Jesus 
Yes, Jesus, our brother and friend, but also the one that wields unique authority in our lives. The one that has the right to call us to obedience, and I pray that we would. Even when he is doing and saying amazing things and things that challenge us and ways that stretch us, asking us to walk through things that we would never, never imagine, pray that you would help us to follow him, that we would take up our cross and deny ourselves as we do so. And we pray for those around us who don't know you, those who, who have over maybe many years rejected Jesus, those who have had hard, impenetrable hearts where the seed has simply bounced off, snatched away by Satan. Pray that you would soften those hearts, that you would allow hearts that recognize that, yes, Jesus is one of us. He became one of us. What an amazing fact that we can call him friend and brother and that he knows our weaknesses and our frame but help us also to know that his divine nature, King of kings, Lord of lords, we ask these things humbly in his name. Amen.